you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, uh, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the Provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you, and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. If you follow me on social media or listen to previous episodes, uh, this is going to be a radio show. Obviously, you've seen the title, but I want to talk about the story that I think will be the story of the decade, which is Bitcoin. I've recently began asking and soliciting feedback on various different topics, and people have told me they want to hear you know, more on certain topics, and I've got some great content coming on practice management and marketing, so thanks for those suggestions. I'm also going to be putting out a specific mini-series with certain guests on exit planning and selling your veterinary clinic. I view those resources as being very lacking in the industry or very biased because it's coming from consolidators. So if you know some folks that that would be beneficial or if that's you, those things are coming. Um, but for today, I'm going to talk about Bitcoin because regardless of your age, situation, whether you're an owner or an associate, the benefits of owning Bitcoin are there for absolutely every single person. I cannot specifically recommend that you own it, right? Like that is a challenge just in the industry that I'm in, but I will recommend Absolutely 100% of people should educate themselves. And I want this radio show to be the start of that. Uh, I am battling a little bit of a cold. So if my voice is flat, if it's hard to listen to me, I apologize because this is a super important topic and it does get me fired up. So I'm hoping it'll uh, just keep me moving through this. I am going to humble brag for a second. So you know, bear with me, but I was recently quoted in a feature for Barron's, which is a financial journal. And it was specifically talking about how financial advisors are starting to talk with clients around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're going to focus on Bitcoin. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, my my team and I headed it up at Vince Wealth Management. We did a an hour deep dive webinar in March. I'll link that to the show notes talking about why it's Bitcoin and not cryptocurrency. And this is the spot to focus on. I'm going to pull a little bit out of that here, but I would highly encourage you to check that out because A, it's going to get more technical and has a lot of good visuals. I think will help connect some of the themes. But again, the goal with this podcast is to encourage you to do the education, dig in, ask questions. Again, I'm a resource. I love talking about this. My passion is serving veterinary medicine and talking about Bitcoin. And I think combining those two things, there's going to be so much power behind that 
just from the struggles of talking with veterinarians around, you know, finances and money and savings and getting a late start and debt. I truly, truly believe that Bitcoin solves a lot of those issues. And we're going to get into that. I also recorded a, an intro on the topic with my good friend and just a superhuman being, Tyrone Ross, episode 52. If you've not checked that out, please do. His story, his energy, his knowledge is fantastic. So with that, let's dive in tonight into Bitcoin. So I think the natural place to start is what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is digital, scarce money. Simplistic, easiest term. So it's just digital money. We have so many other things that are digital in our, our lives today. I think that's probably the easiest term just to kind of kick it off. So what's money? And I know that seems like a dumb question. We all know what money is, but really what money is, if you think about it and you start breaking it down, it's the most liquid or tradable asset in an economy. So if you have people that are looking for something, instead of me coming in and saying, hey, my dog is sick, I will give you financial advice if you take care of him. You know, It's easier just to say, hey, I'll go pay you whatever your, your, your charge is. And then if you're going to work with me, you're just going to pay me in the same US dollars. It gives us an instrument to compare things. It allows for the storage of our energy or economic output. So when you work a 12, 14, 16 hour shift and you're hurting, you're tired, um, you've expended a lot of energy and you're expecting to get paid. So really what money does is it's storing the energy and that output that you've put out for your day. Lynn Alden in her piece, The Three Reasons I'm Investing in Bitcoin, which uh, I'll link to in the show notes, came out in early 2020. She goes, although it has no industrial use, it is scarce, durable, portable, divisible, verifiable, storable, fungible, saleable, and recognized across borders. Therefore, it has the properties of money. Like all potential money, though, it needs sustained demand to have value. It's really interesting that last piece where it says sustained demand to have value because I did um, do something this week that I'm not always proud of, which is getting in like those little Twitter uh, battles or, or disagreements with someone that was a financial advisor that I totally disagreed and I could tell did not do the research that that he should have and was talking about Bitcoin and he just wasn't well informed and it showed but I, I probably could have done a better job at explaining things but his whole thing was well how can you say that there's more demand and there's a lot of ways you can do that but I think that last piece as far as what demand is is really important so let's go back to you know, we talked about what money is. What What is Bitcoin again? So it's a decentralized network of open source code ran by millions of people around the world with no single person or authority in control. There's no single point of failure or corruption. It's verify and then trust, and it allows people to store their earnings or energy. Again, we talked about energy digitally in a way that cannot be taken, changed, or tampered with. We're going to come back to this changed or tampered with in a little bit. So hang on to that piece. It is peer-to-peer, -peer, so it can be Isaiah to whomever or whomever to Isaiah. Bitcoin um, obviates the need for a middleman, so a bank, a credit card, a broker, and reduces transaction times and saving costs. So if it's midnight on a Saturday and you want to send um, you know, money to someone else, you can do that. You want to get your money, you want to move it, you can do it at any point. There's no hours of, of opening. So I think that's really cool. Uh, another thing, once Bitcoin is sent, it's permanent. It's incorruptible, immutable, and it's a public record. So people will talk about, well, oh, you can use Bitcoin or, or these other things and, and it's you know for criminals or other nefarious activities and no one can know what's happening. Well, actually, it's all public record. If you know what you're looking for, um, it's not that um, secretive, right? You can have things that are tracked. So there's a whole nother um, rabbit hole and can of worms there that we could go into, but I want to stay with where we're at. So 
just remember that it is public record. Once you send or receive Bitcoin, it's done forever. The transactions cannot be changed, stopped, or reversed. Like it's done. It is set in stone. So Bitcoin is an asset and it has 21 million coins. There will never be more than 21 million. It came out on um, October 31st in 2009. And then the first um, actual transaction was um, that following January. And so, you know, Bitcoin's been around for, for a while. But the thing that cannot happen is that it's a hard fixed supply at 21 million. So when I say scarce, you cannot increase the supply. And we'll come back to that here in a second as well as why that's so important. And scarcity is value. And this is probably a, a poor example. But when you think about homes, everyone knows about homes. So if you have a custom built home versus a cookie cutter option, which one's going to be more expensive? Obviously, the one that's custom because it's scarce. It has more value. So think about Bitcoin as something that's scarce. Like you can't replicate that. And, and one's going to cost more. And there's a reason for that. Bitcoin is also a network. So you have Bitcoin, the asset and Bitcoin, the network. When you hear blockchain, all that is, is just a record of the movement of Bitcoin. That's it. It's just a ledger. It's just keeping tally of what's happening and who has what. And so there's a ton to unpack there. And I get that, that it's probably confusing. And you're like, okay, not sure if this is worth continuing to listen to, but trust me, um, as far as the technical side, if you want to dive in deeper, that's where the aid of visuals is super helpful. Um, the webinar is really, really beneficial there. So I'd highly encourage you to check that out. Again, I know I'm not going to be able to get everything explained crystal clear in a podcast format because some of it does need a visual representation. But stick with me because I know that there's a lot that you're going to learn from, from this next portion and the rest of this. So the natural question is cool. I say that's great. So it's internet money, but why do I care? I get paid in dollars. My mortgage or my rent is paid in dollars, not in Bitcoin. How does this affect me? Great question, right? First, I think that's the natural place to start. Why does this even matter? Dollars aren't broken. I can spend it. I can get what I want. I get paid well. Life's good. Well, first today, unlike Bitcoin, which is a consensus structure, so all the participants are agreeing on running the same code. And if there's any updates or changes, everyone is agreeing and saying, okay, or at least the majority is agreeing and making those decisions together. So it's really analogous to a, a democracy, right? So think of it like I wrote an article around Bitcoin and the founding fathers and saying that Bitcoin is the most American style money ever created because it allows everyone to have a say in what goes on because everyone's running the same code. Everyone can agree or disagree. And you hold everyone accountable. It's verify and then trust. Well, the issue with the U.S. dollar monetary system today is that the Federal Reserve makes those decisions. You or I don't ever know why or what happens. The Federal Reserve is also a private organization, which is very strange, right? Like, why is that a private organization? Um, yet they set the, the monetary policy for our country, but also the world, because the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. It's estimated about 50% of transactions in the world are done in dollars. So the dollar today is what is called a fiat currency. I know people hear fiat and it's just a fancy term for money. So fiat money does not have intrinsic value and does not have any use outside of being considered money. It's only value is because the government maintains its value or because parties engaging in exchange agree in its value. So again, going back to Lynn Alden's quote, the sustained demand is what is really important. So I wanted to bring that back here when we talk about fiat currency. Every fiat currency of all time has failed. Every single one. The most successful, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, is the British pound sterling. It's been around for 317 years, and it is worth one half of 1% today. So it has not held its value at all. 
The U.S. dollar, um, the monopoly money that you would have had in the 1930s from the original board, has held its value as a collectible more so than the U.S. dollars if you would have held them from that standpoint. Even though people say it's monopoly money and make fun of that. I think that is a hilarious fact. Also sad. The problem with people or the Federal Reserve deciding on how and when to create money is that we as the holders of those dollars tradition have seen our purchasing power cut in half or worse. And that just basically means what our dollar that we earn today, what it buys us in the future is less. That's called inflation. So if you think about inflation in a nice way, it's a tax that never gets passed. No elected official does it. They just decide it and they say, accept it. Or if you want to think about it in a more nefarious way, it's really theft because they're stealing from you by taking the dollars that are in your bank account and making them worth less by providing more into the system. The idea of if you have more dollars and they're chasing fewer and fewer goods, those goods are going to go up in value. If anyone's been trying to buy a house recently, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You work, you get paid, you save in your bank account, and you're making 0.00001 of interest, maybe a couple dollars a year, and you wake up a year later and all of a sudden your money doesn't go as far as you would like it to. It's really frustrating, right? So you might be saying again, so so big, what, my money's worth less over time. That's normal. That's just the way it works. Um, that can't be bad, right? Well, wrong. It is bad. And so if you had a dollar in 1950, it's worth about nine cents today. So... 75% of the U.S. dollars ever created were created since the Great Financial Crisis in 2009. And since the outbreak, the dollar creation since COVID, all the stimulus and all the different um, programs and, and money that's been injected in the system, whether it's PPP loans or other things. And again, there was certain needs for people, but there was a lot of extra spending that didn't need to happen. The U.S. dollar was devalued by 24% alone in 2020, which is wild, 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 wild. So holding the dollar or any other currency hurts you. So you're either forced to consume quickly to get what you want, or you need to learn to invest and or hire someone, right? Like you got to hire an investment manager, a financial planner, someone else, because you're like, my day is so full. I don't have any idea what to do with it. I know I need to do something. So people have turned to the stock market or real estate market to preserve their wealth. That's been great for the older generations as the devaluation of the dollar has artificially propped up and increased these values. The challenge is if you don't own these assets, so let's say you're starting out and you're like trying to save, you're falling further and further behind because as the devaluation happens, these assets rise in price and it gets really hard to buy. So again, going back to real estate, if you haven't bought a house and you're trying to buy a house right now, it's wild. Home prices all over the country are up 75, 50, 100,000, more than they were a couple years ago. It's like, how do you maintain that? Because you're not getting those raises at work. You're not hitting those extra bonuses to, to make up for that difference. And I don't want to get sucked into a tangent here. I'm not saying that real estate or stocks are bad, but the returns on those assets have been greatly increased by a currency, the U.S. dollar, that's losing its value. So I think this is really important to understand. So what is Bitcoin? Again, coming back to this like over and over again. So what is Bitcoin? Some of my favorite one-liners are, it's a monetary lifeboat by Saifedina Moose, a global telecommunications network that secures financial data from Melton Demers, the internet's native digital currency from Jack Dorsey, it's a digital land grab, Tur Demeester. I love all those quotes because I think they all are so spot on. It is a digital land grab because there's only 21 million. It's like you want to have your portion of that digital land because, again, Bitcoin is just better money. If we go back to what is money, it's helping you compare things. It's helping you be able to exchange so you don't have to barter for services. And there is nothing that has ever been said or um, created that the government needs to dictate what kind of money 
that, that we all use, right? If you live in a free country, you should be able to decide whatever is money. Again, going back to that sustained demand. So as more and more people wake up to seeing that their dollars that they're holding are becoming worth it less and less, and they see this Bitcoin thing and it goes up in value and it's scarce and there's only a fixed supply and, and everyone agrees not to, to print more and make more. And so if you own some, you're going to own the same amount today as you will in 50, 100 years. And it's going to be worth more because as demand increases, the only way to represent that is by the price going is going up. So its purchasing power is actually going to increase and not decrease. It's pretty interesting. Something to think about. So let's tackle the five factors of Bitcoin. So these are scarcity, network effects, decentralization, security, and disinflationary. So I think about scarcity. The the way that it really hits home with me is um, the number 12. So there's 12 millionaires, 12 million millionaires in the United States. That equates to about 1.75 Bitcoin per person if all 21 million were available and if all 12 million millionaires bought at the same time, they'd have 1.75 Bitcoin per person. So that's absolutely impossible. So right now, about 90% of all the Bitcoin that'll ever be created are already in the system. And there are plenty of people that I know personally um, that already have more than 1.75 Bitcoin. And there are companies like MicroStrategies, like Tesla, like Square, that have way more than 1.57 Bitcoin. So it's going to be really hard for people that have been traditionally millionaires to have that kind of number. So there is a scarce element. And when you start thinking about scarcity, it is wild um, how scarce Bitcoin is. And when we think about the um, demand, just some of the things that have happened. So Tesla bought $1.5 in Bitcoin. A Norwegian company called Acre put 100% of their um, treasury. So instead of holding cash, they were holding Bitcoin. MicroStrategies has over $2 billion worth of Bitcoin, or about 100,000 Bitcoin. Miami has talked about going full Bitcoin. The city is going to support efforts to hold Bitcoin in the treasury and allow tax payments in Bitcoin. Visa revealed a Bitcoin and crypto banking roadmap amid a race to reach a network of 70 million. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs has both started to offer Bitcoin to their bigger clients. And so it's wild just to see how much demand for Bitcoin is out there. And again, the only way for demand to be shown is for the price to go up. And that's what scarcity really is. So if we think about network effects, markets where a slight advantage in performance leads to an outside reward is driven by network effects, creating a positive feedback loop. Winner takes all. The easiest way to explain this, when you think about dominant digital networks, once they hit $100 billion in size, they are the de facto winners. Facebook, Apple, YouTube, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a trillion dollar market cap today. It has already won. And that's part of what I drive home a lot in the webinar and discuss is how Bitcoin, and it's not crypto, it's Bitcoin. That's the story. And when you think about network effects, you, you see these, you know, early innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority and laggards as far as where the adoption curve is. We're still very much in the innovators and early adopters. I think we're farther along and maybe in the early adopters, but I read things and some people are saying it's still in the innovator stage. And this is one thing I want to get through. Today, Bitcoin is at $50,000 per Bitcoin. You can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin because Bitcoin is divisible and you can buy fractions of it. It is so early. You have not missed the boat. It is not something where you're going to be like, oh my gosh, you know, this Bitcoin thing, it's like at the end of its life, 90% of it's already out in the marketplace. 
It is so, so, so early, which is why I have pounded the table and pounded the table and pounded the table for the last nine months that Bitcoin is such an important thing for people to understand, and especially for anyone listening to this. Um, A, I appreciate the time, and I care enough to make sure that you understand and at least push yourself to be educated around what is Bitcoin because it is that powerful, and I believe that this decade, again, this is the story. It's the adoption of Bitcoin. I don't want you to be left out of that, right? So it's time to, to get educated on it. So the other piece is the decentralization. So when you think about just the security of the network, it's amazing how the security of the network um, is incentivized to encourage people to stay honest because everyone has to verify and then trust, but everyone is you know, doing the verification prior to trusting. And so everyone is holding each other accountable. And it just has such an economic incentive for everyone to say, yep, I'm going to make sure that they're doing the right thing and I'm going to do the right thing. And then as Bitcoin itself grows, it actually gets more and more secure over time. Bitcoin has a higher uptime than Amazon, Facebook, or Google. And even in the white paper, so I talk about this and I, I didn't mention it earlier, but you know, Bitcoin has no founder, has no CEO. The uh, creator or creators, he, she, they, um, Satoshi Nakamoto, he even wrote, or she or they, the incentive that will help people stay honest is that if there was a greedy attacker to assemble enough computer power, um, then everyone else that was trying to follow the rules, they would have to choose between using it to defraud everyone by stealing back their payment or generating new coins or manipulating the system, but they would actually find it more profitable to play by the rules because the rules actually favor them to win more coins than everyone else combined. And so to undermine the system, they would actually sacrifice their own wealth. And there's a big part that I talk about in the, the webinar and other places around how the system is secure, why it matters, the energy consumption that goes into it. Um, so again, it's really hard to get all that into a podcast, um, especially without visuals, but just think about decentralization. There's a lot of different people that are, don't have any idea who the other one is, but they can all run the same exact code and hold each other accountable. And when you have all the people that have an incentive that is aligned with keeping, you know, honest um, communication or honest rules in place, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So disinflationary. So I talked about 21 million. And if you think about the money supply of, of Bitcoin, it, it like I said, there's 90% of Bitcoin is already out in the marketplace, and that is going to just continue to get less and less and less over time. Where if you look at the US dollar system, and I mentioned this earlier, 75% of all US dollars were created since 2009. Bitcoin's programmed. Everyone knows exactly when the new coins are gonna be released. It's a fixed schedule. It has never been changed because there is the consensus that is holding the rules in place where the Federal Reserve can say, hey, we're gonna do another $1.9 trillion stimulus. We're gonna do a you know, $2.2 trillion infrastructure stimulus, and no one knows when that happens. No one knows why. Um, or Bitcoin, it's all pre-programmed. It's been the same way since 2009. So it's really, really amazing how that works to be disinflationary. Um, so yeah, it's just something that is so incredible to think about how it is structured. And remember, if you wanted to audit the supply and actually understand what is out there in the marketplace today. It costs about $250 in a weekend of time to have the, the parts and the supplies to then go and look at every single Bitcoin transaction since the initial Genesis block, that you can run all that and see everything. 
So it is very transparent. There's no secrets. There's no, you know, you have to be close to the people making the decisions. It is completely an opt-in system. And whether you have 0.00001 of a Bitcoin or you have 100,000 Bitcoin, you're treated exactly the same. So there's no discrimination. It is completely transparent. So I want to quickly go through what about, you know, the government will ban it. It's too volatile. They'll make more of it. It'll boil the oceans. It has no value and it's used by drug dealers or criminals. So the too volatile piece, um, Bitcoin went from a zero dollar. So when it started to a trillion dollars in market cap with no CEO marketing company, it's emerging as an asset. The volatility is a feature, not a bug. As more people adopt Bitcoin, the volatilities will slow down. But at a 200% annualized return for 12 years, I would love to have that volatility continue. To see your money grow by that amount is, is absolutely insane. Um, the idea that they're going to make more of it. So there was something, and not to get too technical, but there was a, a point in time in 2017 where they tried to make a switch to the protocol, to the code. And there was what they call a hard fork. So basically there was a group of people that said, we want to do something different. Um, and then there were people that said, no, we don't want to change, you know, the Bitcoin code. We want to stick with really what makes this important, all these different rules. And the market has voted since that fork, the, the side that wanted to make a lot of changes, they've basically had a negative 96% return versus holding um, Bitcoin. So the market voted and said, you know what, we're not going to make more Bitcoin. We're not going to make these changes. And the rules that are in place the consensus mechanism is really, really important. The no intrinsic value, um, this is one that's tough because it's there's no absolute truth in that discipline. There's no such thing as intrinsic value. There's one value that you can observe at any point in time. That's the market value. And so if you believe efficient markets, then Bitcoin's priced exactly what it should be. You can make assumptions, models, or study whatever constraints or weights that the, the market has. It'll give you a range of possible future outcomes. Uh, the thing that that I've done and I, I talk about in the webinar is, you know, what's Bitcoin's total addressable market? So if you think about if it was just worth the same amount that Apple was, it'd be about $100,000, $107,000 per Bitcoin. If it got to the same size as gold, which is an $11 trillion market, that'd be $525,000 per Bitcoin. Um, if you think about the global stock market, that'd be $4.285 million per Bitcoin. And the real estate market, it'd be $9.5 uh, million dollars per Bitcoin. Now, will Bitcoin take 100% of all these? I don't know. I don't make those kind of predictions. Do I think it can take some of them and take portions of a lot of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The The whole idea of the, the drug dealing um, piece of it. So the Silk Road narrative was in 2013 where people were using Bitcoin to buy drugs. And again, the, the amount of bad actors that have used Bitcoin lies below 1% today. It's actually a lot more, um, it's a lot more intelligent to use US dollars, which are harder to trace than Bitcoin um, to do those kind of nefarious activities. And that's, you know, just because the US dollar is the global reserve currency, there's a lot more uh, nefarious activity that happens on, on that blockchain, or sorry, that happens with the uh, US dollars than uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. So what about the government? Isn't the government going to ban Bitcoin? That's what I keep hearing. Like, well, it's going to get too big and the government's going to decide to to ban it. Well, I disagree. Um, so the U.S. Senator from Wyoming, uh, Kathy Loomis, she was on the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, Warren Davidson is a U.S. congressman in the 8th District from Ohio. 
the um, officer of the comptroller of currency was Brian Brooks. He stepped down with the change of the administration, but he passed a lot of reg regulation for U.S. banks in how they're going to be able to interact with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And then Avanti won a unanimous bid to become the first Bitcoin bank charter in the state of Wyoming. One of my favorite people to follow, his name is Marty Bent. And he put out a piece recently that said states will lead the way. And so there's been a lot of information, even just as recently as yesterday. Um, and I'm recording this on April 24th. Um, but the state of Louisiana came out and actually talked favorably about Satoshi Nakamoto, who created uh, Bitcoin, and talked about how beneficial that is to the state. And so there's states like Texas and North Dakota and Wyoming that are embracing Bitcoin. But Bitcoin haters have come out of the woodwork to proclaim that the U.S. federal government is going to ban Bitcoin before it ever threatens the U.S. dollar status as the global reserve currency. Marty writes, you know, this is a cute line of thinking, considering the fact that Bitcoin has already reached a tipping point in terms of global adoption and proliferation of the software and cultural acceptance of the mainstream. At this point, the worst the U.S. government could do in regards to Bitcoin is cut off its nose despite its face by attempting to prevent U.S. citizens from purchasing, holding, using, and building on Bitcoin. If the federal government were to attempt to do this, it would come with extremely high opportunity costs. The type of action would make millions of American citizens and many large corporations criminals overnight, force a percentage of these forward-looking and innovative individuals and companies to seek safe harbor and more friendly Bitcoin jurisdictions, and prevent the U.S. from being the leader in terms of ushering in and leveraging one of the most revolutionary technologies humanity has ever come into contact with. You know what they say, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And at this point, it's logistically impossible for the U.S. government to come at Bitcoin without missing terribly. The costs are too high. Another very important thing is that the detractors seem to come up with throwing this line of fear, uncertainty, and doubt is that America is a republic and made up of states, each with different laws and incentives at the local level. If 2020 and the reaction to COVID has taught us anything, it's that there's been very encouraging reversion to states' rights and allowing individual states to make decisions for themselves. This will be no different with Bitcoin adoption. In fact, we're already starting to see this with individual states beginning to compete for Bitcoin talent. Kentucky passed a House Bill 230 that is specifically targeting Bitcoin miners to come into the state, and they're waiving sales tax on electricity to mine Bitcoin because they want those jobs, which is so incredible. Wyoming has led the state by leveling up and setting laws to make it favorable for Bitcoin companies to set up shop and do business. Again, I talked about it before, but Miami is leading the, the trail as far as trying to attract talent. Mayor Francis Suarez is actively courting Bitcoiners and Bitcoin-focused companies to set up shop. And we're seeing North Dakota try to pass another bill, um, the House Bill 230. And I think Franklin, Tennessee, the mayor, just talked about doing something similar too. It is wild, the adoption story that we are seeing in terms of Bitcoin. And that's, again, why I pound the table and say this is such an important thing. This is the story of the decade. So you have to get educated. Regardless of whatever you decide, make sure that you understand the facts and what's actually happening. One of the things that we also hear a lot about from a detraction is, you know, Bitcoin does use energy and it has to use energy to make sure that there is what they call proof of work, to make sure that the money has value and to, to make sure the transactions are valid. Like you have to have some sort of energy output, just the same way that you and I have to have energy output to earn our living, right? Like you have to have output. If it's free, it's not worth anything, right? So there was an interesting, uh, 
study done by ARC Investment Management. So if anyone's ever heard of Kathy Wood, that's her company, but they looked at the yearly cost in billions versus energy expenditure. The legacy banking system is huge as far as how much energy it consumes and how much it costs in billions of dollars compared to Bitcoin. And actually gold mining is way above Bitcoin mining as well. Uh, for anyone that's interested in like environmental, social governance investing or ESG or social responsibility investing or SRI, Bitcoin actually, I believe, fits that narrative really well because one thing that we're starting to see is that Bitcoin is being used to flare gas in North Dakota and Texas, which is making the emissions less and taking that wasted, stranded energy and turning it into Bitcoin. So they're connecting and helping make the pollution less, but also mining Bitcoin to make the companies more profitable. Like it's amazing. And the fact that 67% of the energy that we produce in the United States gets lost due to peaks and lags in demand. There's so much wasted energy that could be tapped into. And Bitcoin is designed to look for the cheapest energy that it can consume. Because if you have these Bitcoin miners, and again, we didn't get into all this in this episode, but if you have these um, pieces of equipment, these Bitcoin miners that are working and, and helping secure the network, you want to have cheap and inexpensive electricity. So it's just really interesting to think about all the different ways that Bitcoin actually works and works so well. All right. So we've talked about a lot of different things with Bitcoin as far as what it is, why it matters, kind of the, the five different characteristics, which again are scarcity, network effect, decentralization, security, and, and it's disinflationary. We talked a little bit about the, the claims that people are making as far as the fear, uncertainty, and doubt about the government's going to ban it, it uses too much energy, all those different things. But again, coming back to the question that you probably have is, so again, how does this matter to me? So if you think about Bitcoin as being better money and using it as a way to store the energy output that you have when you're working as a veterinarian, that's why it matters. So I'll, I'll try to illustrate a couple different scenarios. So the first one that I can think about is student loan repayment. So one of the things that I've started to talk to more people about is if we see the devaluation of the dollar and we see them printing more and more dollars, that's going to make the debt that someone has less and less. It's going to make that debt worth less and less because we're just inflating the amount of money that's out there. And so if you're going for forgiveness, one of the things that you could be doing to save for that tax bomb or save for the future is buying Bitcoin. Because as Bitcoin, its biggest thing is it's going to increase in value because it is scarce. And as more people understand the value of Bitcoin and that demand is there, that's going to increase the price because that's the only way for it to reflect. So the idea of the supply and demand, you don't need to have you know an economic background to understand that if you have something that's scarce and more people want it, the price goes up. It's the same idea of like rare paintings, right? When that artist dies, the painting is worth more. The way that Bitcoin's designed is like, think about that artist is passing away every four years and it's getting more and more scarce and more and more demand for that painting. Like that's really what Bitcoin is doing. And again, I'm simplifying some of these things. I'm not getting all the, the details and weeds, but I view someone that is paying back their loans for 20 or 25 years. You don't necessarily need to rush to do that. And I know that can sometimes be a controversial opinion and we're all told that debt's bad and you got to pay it back and hurry and you can refinance and pay it down. I think one of the strategies could be save in Bitcoin. Save in Bitcoin for the tax bomb. Use that as part of what you're saving for 
um, save into your you know 401k and other things, but make sure you're putting money aside versus paying down that debt that is naturally going to get worth less and less. If I'm a practice owner and I'm an aspiring practice owner, if I'm an aspiring practice owner and I want to go purchase a practice, how can I protect the funds that I'm setting aside to go purchase that practice? Bitcoin, because if it's not going to get devalued and it's going to grow in its purchasing power over time, which is the exact opposite of the dollars that I would save in my bank account, that makes all the sense of the world for me to put aside and save in that. And if I'm a practice owner and I know that I want to reinvest in my business or I want to have you know, a certain amount of cash set aside, as we said, Bitcoin is volatile. But if this is not something that you're going to need right away, but you're like, I'm, I think I'm going to want to reinvest or I want to build a different hospital or I want to buy that plot of land across the road and, and build a bigger building, I know I need to set aside funds for that. Again, Bitcoin is perfect for that. That is exactly what it's designed to do is to s- secure the value and the, the output that you've already had and make sure that that purchasing power is going to be retained over time. And then if I'm someone that's thinking about retirement, when you retire, that does not mean that you don't stop needing money. Um, hopefully retirement's 25, 30, 35 years into the future. You don't want to stop investing. You don't want to stop protecting your money. And I think too many people are going to be conservative. And one of the things I didn't talk about is how does Bitcoin fit into a portfolio? But even if you add Bitcoin as a 5% allocation to a traditional 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio, Bitcoin doesn't add any risk, but it almost doubles the return. And so like, there's so much power in just a little bit of Bitcoin going a long way. And like I said, I can't say that everyone has to own it. I think you need to be educated because I think the more education you have, the more that you'll have that desire to want to dig in deeper and likely own Bitcoin. I own Bitcoin. And I own it for a variety of reasons. A lot of the things that I've tried to express throughout this podcast, I think veterinary medicine could benefit so much from Bitcoin because it helps solve some of the challenges of, well, my pay is not up to par as, you know, my human health counterparts. Well, if you're able to save in a better money that is going to increase in your purchasing power, let's make veterinary medicine the, the healthcare leaders in Bitcoin adoption. Let's do that. Like, that's my goal. I would love to see that where more veterinarians are financially empowered to be able to say, you know what? I don't have to do this work anymore because I'm financially stable. I'm set. I have enough money set aside. My financial plan is good. I do this because I love what I do. I don't have the financial stress. I know that I'm good. I know that I'll be able to accomplish the things that I want to do. And I think Bitcoin plays a part in that. I think good financial planning plays a part in that. So my challenge is A, you have questions, please reach out, ask me what it is, join the Facebook group, write them in there, connect with me on LinkedIn, write me on Instagram, whatever. I don't care how you get hold of me, but please ask the questions. I'm going to link to a lot of good things in the show notes. Please take the time. I know you're so busy. Um, And if it's podcasts away from this one, do it. It's that important. Go listen to other podcasts that are about Bitcoin. And I'll try to link to those that I think are really impactful to help you understand it read the book, watch the videos, whatever it needs to be. Ask me questions and I can help streamline what it is that you want. I'll link to where I personally buy Bitcoin. I think that's a question. How do you secure it? How do you do those things? I'm happy to jump on a call and explain it, chat through with anybody. Um, Again, I think it's so important. I want to see veterinary medicine be an adopter of Bitcoin because that's where the demand is going to go. And we're going to see that. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I want you to be prepared and I want you to be early to that. I want you to be one of those early adopters to where you can reap the benefits versus being the laggard and being slower to adopt it because I don't want to be the one that didn't tell you. So again, 
thanks for listening. Uh, I know that is a, a lot of content coming your way, but um, please, please, please reach out with any questions. Let me know what you think. And if you need more information, or you want to dive deeper into this topic, let me know and we certainly can uh, chat about it more. So thank you so much and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.